A reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. Ephesians 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is telling a group of Christians about how he prays for them. And what I like to do is just make three three observations about the apostles' prayers. I'd, I'd like us to notice, first, notice that he prayed, and then second, notice what he prayed, and then third, let's, let's think about why he prayed for them. So first, did you notice that the apostle Paul prayed for other believers? Duh, right? It's very obvious. He says right here that he's praying. But, you, you know, sometimes when something is very, very obvious, it's easy to, to overlook how really important it is. And, and I think that this passage right here has a lot to say about the importance of prayer. Verse 15 and 16, Paul says, for, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, he says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So notice he says, ever since I heard about you, I've been praying. Or, or because I heard about you, I've been praying. And you, you get the impression, don't you, that, that prayer was a, was, was a priority for the apostle. As soon as he heard about other Christians, first thing, just started praying for them. Like, it's, as if it's the most important thing he could do. And it's, it, it's not that, you know, he heard about some big problem that was taking place in, in, in their congregation. He doesn't say, ever, ever since I heard about your church split or ever, ever since I heard about the financial struggles you're having, I started praying for you. That's not what he says. And, you know, but sometimes we're like that, aren't we? Sometimes, sometimes we don't really pray for people until you know, things get desperate for them. You know, maybe someone says to you, hey, I've been praying for you. And you're, you're like, why? Why? What have you heard about me? That, that, listen, that's not the, not the way it was with Paul. These, these people, they didn't have some big problem. There was no huge crisis. He, he says, ever since I heard about what? About your faith in the Lord Jesus and, and your love for all God's people. Ever, ever since I heard these good things about you, he says, I haven't stopped remembering you in my prayers. So the apostles seem, seem to think that even, listen, even Christians who seem to be doing really well in their faith, they still need other people to, to be supporting them in prayer. Later in uh, Ephesians, when you get to chapter 6, the apostle will talk about um, spiritual opposition, or you could call it spiritual warfare. 
that is faced by every follower of Jesus Christ. Just every, every one of us lives in a world where, where there's, there's spiritual opposition by dark forces against what, what God is calling us to do for his glory. And so Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 18, he, he says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He says, you gotta pray for all followers of Christ. And then in verse 19 of chapter six, he says, and pray also for me. And we might say, well, Paul, you're an apostle. You don't need people praying for you. You know, he said, pray for me. He's saying every, every follower of Christ needs prayer. So it's just a priority for him. And, and you'll notice that um, for, for Paul, it seems that prayer was just an ongoing daily activity. It wasn't kind of a, you know, a one-off event. I prayed for you last Thursday. No, he, he says, verse 16, I haven't stopped remembering you in my prayer. So do you see what I'm talking about? Just get the impression here that that, that for the apostle, um, prayer for other believers, other Christians, was absolutely important. I mean, from the moment he heard about them, even though he he heard that they were doing well, on this ongoing basis, he, he prayed for them. Now, second thought, what did he pray? when he prayed for them. Well, if you look at this passage, essentially, uh, the apostle is praying that they would grow in their knowledge of God. He says here in, in verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? He says, so that you may know him better. He said, that's the thrust of my prayer. I want, I want you to know God better. Now, if, if you notice, there, there are three things about God that he especially wants them to know, right? He, he wants them, he, you could say this, he wants them to know uh, God's plans, God's plans for their future. He wants them to know God's love for them, and he wants them to go know God's power. So first, he, he wants them to know God's plans. Ver, verse 18, he says, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you. I, I want you to know what God has prepared for you in the future. You know, some, sometimes, has this, has this happened to you? It, it happens to me. It's easy sometimes to get so caught up in the moment, you know, caught up in what's happening in my life right now that, that uh, I, I can start to forget what God has planned for me in eternity. Is, is that, you know what I mean? So if, if, if really good things are happening right now, we can get distracted. If really bad things are happening right now, we can get discouraged. But either way, we, we, what we can forget is that what, what's happening right now is temporary. It's not eternal, but what God has planned for us, it's forever. God has an eternal kingdom prepared for all of those who, who place their trust in His, his Son. So I, I wonder how, how your life this coming week might be different if, uh, if you were just kind of able to, to view everything that happens to you through the lens of eternity. I'm not saying that you disengage with, with life, but just, just whatever you go through this week, you just in the back of your mind, you have this sense that eternity is coming, eternity is coming. I wonder, would you maybe be a little bit less worried or, or angry when things don't go your way? Or maybe you'd be a little bit, little bit less tempted by, you know, the fleeting pleasures of, of, of sin. Um, maybe you would treat people around you with a little more patience, 
a little more uh, love or generosity. You just you would remember that every 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 person that you meet, every individual, is created in the image of the the infinite God and has been endowed with an immortal soul. I mean, maybe you just view people in the light of eternity. This I think this is what Paul's praying for his readers. He 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 wants them just to 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 know better God's eternal plans for them. He wants he's praying that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would know the hope to which God had called them. So he wants them to know God's plans. And, and then secondly, he, he wants them to know God's love. Again, in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he's called you and in order that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, you have to look at this closely to, to understand it. Um, in the Old Testament, actually throughout the Old Testament, Israel, the people of Israel, are frequently re referred to as Israel is the Lord's inheritance. Israel is the inheritance of the Lord. Now, Canaan, the land of Canaan, Canaan was Israel's inheritance. The, the, the land was their treasure. But God said, no, his treasure, his inheritance is Israel itself. The peop See, the people's inheritance was the land, but the Lord's inheritance, the Lord's treasure was his people. For example, uh, you read Deuteronomy 32 verse 9 says, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. And, and it seems, this seems to be the idea that Paul's communicating here. He's not, I, I don't think he's talking about uh, when he says, um, I want you to know uh, the, the glorious riches of his inheritance in his holy people. I, I don't think he's talking about the inheritance that God has prepared for us. Right? He's already talked about that. I think he, he's talking here more about, in this Old Testament sense, about the inheritance that God sees in us. Just as God in the Old Covenant said to the people of Israel, in the New Covenant, he says to us, he says to us that in Christ, he views us as his priceless treasure. He loves us dearly. We are his inheritance, his, the delight of his heart, the apple of his eye, the, the, the great, his greatest wealth. He views us that way. Let, let's imagine that you meet... Um, you meet a very wealthy man and you say to this man, sir, uh, would you be willing to show me your greatest treasure? And this wealthy man says, sure, I'd be glad to show you. Uh, I'll meet you tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. So the, the next day, nine in the morning, you're standing out front and, and this man pulls up in a $4 million Lamborghini. I mean, you've, you've, you've heard that cars like this exist, but you've never actually seen one. You, and you stand there and you say, oh, this is amazing. Thank you for showing me this car. Thank you for showing me your greatest treasure. And the man says, what are you talking about? This is just one of my cars. Can I, can I hop in? I'll, I'll, I'll show you. And so you get into the car and he drives you uh, down uh, this winding tree-lined road up this hill and at the top of the hill, there is a house like you've never seen before, this huge estate, this, this, this luxurious mansion. And you turn to the man, you say, oh, thank you for showing me your mansion, your, your greatest treasure. And he says, what are you talking about? This is just one of my houses. Come on inside. You go inside and 
on the walls of the house, you see artwork, priceless artwork. There's a Rembrandt, there's a, there's a Van Gogh, there's a Picasso, and you, oh, you're just worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And you say, thank you so much for showing me this artwork. This, this is your greatest treasure. He says, this is not, these are just decorations. He says, you want to see my greatest treasure? Come with me. He takes you to the back of the house. He opens the back door. There in the backyard on a swing set, there's a four-year-old girl. And he says, look at her. Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she lovely? That's, that's Janie. That's my daughter. That's my greatest treasure. This is, this is what the Bible is communicating throughout Scripture. When, when God's people are referred to as God's inheritance, God's wealth, God's, this, is God, this is the glorious riches of God's inheritance. That's the way God's believer in Christ. Listen. That's the way God sees you in Jesus. That's the way he sees me. He, sees, he, he loves us that much. And, and you know, listen, if you know the gospel, it's, it's not because you've earned that love, right? Oh, come on. It's not because we deserve it. It's because of God's grace made known to us in Jesus Christ. Now, later in, uh, in Ephesians, when we get to chapter 3, uh, here's, here's what the apostle says. He prays this for the people. He, he says... Um, he says, I pray, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says to Christians, listen, this is what my prayer is, because I want, you f I want you completely filled with the fullness of God. And for that to happen, I want you to know his love, even though you'll never know his love. It's bigger, it's broader, it's wider, it's deeper than you can ever comprehend. You'll never understand how much he loves you, but I'm praying, I'm praying that with every passing day, you'll know this more. So this is what he's praying. He's, he's praying that they will know, that they will know God's plans for, for them, what God has prepared in the future, that they'll know how much God loves them in Christ. And then thirdly, he's praying that they will, they will know God's, God's power. Again, he, he says, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, verse 19, God's incomparably great power for us who believe. He said that that power is the same as um, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He's saying, listen, guys, do you realize that the same power by which God raised Jesus from the dead and established him in glory, do you realize that same power is available for you. He, he says this is God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Isn't that amazing? You see the same thought later in verse, verse 22. He says, God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He's saying God, 
when, when, when Christ, in this mysterious sense, ascended to the right hand of the Father and God gave him all authority in heaven and earth and placed everything under his direct dominion, under his control, he's saying the reason he gave Jesus uh, control over everything was so that he might cons- exert his control over everything for the church, for us. Jesus is right now ruling over everything for the benefit of us. You see, there's a danger that we we face as Christians. We all face this, is that we will begin to limit um, what God does in our lives because we just don't expect very much from him. And the apostle is saying, guys, I, I don't want that to happen to you. I'm, I am praying that you'll know, that you'll really know God better, that you will see with greater clarity and with every passing day the, the, the wonderful eternal plans, plans that God has for you in the future and the amazing, passionate love God has for you right now. And I'm praying that you will, you will begin to see the power of God that is at work in your behalf. So that's what he prayed for them. My, wouldn't you love to have someone praying that for you? That's, that's what he prayed for them. Now, third, third thing to notice, why did the Apostle Paul pray these things for them? And then, Listen, that's a sincere question. All right, Why did he pray? Here's why I asked it. What, essentially, what Paul wanted to see happen in these believers is he, he wanted to see an increase in their knowledge. Right? He wanted them to know God better better. He wanted an increase in knowledge. Well, listen, knowledge consists of information, right? Information is conveyed through words. So if what he wanted was just an increase in knowledge, why didn't he just write more words? You know, why didn't he amplify this thoughts? Why didn't he explain a little bit further what he means? Why, why, not, just, why not just communicate ideas to them? I'll tell you why. Because he wasn't talking about that kind of knowledge. He, he, was, he wasn't he wasn't talking about just merely an intellectual comprehension of, you know, doctrinal data. No, he, what he's talking about here, knowing God, he's talking about personal, relational, intimate knowledge of the Almighty. This is the kind of knowledge of God that, that Jesus came to give us, that the Bible t- tells us is available for us. Uh, one uh, Christian author, James Boyce, he wrote this. He says, it's possible to know a great deal about God without knowing God. In fact, he said it's possible to know much about theology and still not be a Christian. Maybe you've known people that, you know, they, they, maybe they grew up in church or they've studied the Bible, they know a lot about God, but you get the sense that they don't even, they don't even know the God that, that they've studied about. John Calvin, the great um, Protestant reform, reformer, he, he wrote this. He said, the word of God is not received by faith if it merely flits about in the top of the brain. He said, but when it, only when it takes root in the depth of the heart. So why does the Apostle Paul pray? Why not, just, why not just write more information? What does he pray for them? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted something to happen in them that only God could do for them. He wanted something to happen in them that only God could do for them. He, he's, he's asking, he says this in verse 17, he's, he's asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you would know 
him better. Now, it's not that these people didn't have the Holy Spirit in their lives. He said just a few verses earlier in, 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 in verse 13 and 14, he said to them, when you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. They, they had, when they believed in Christ, they received the Spirit, just as every Christian, when you believe in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit in your life. So they had the Holy Spirit. But apparently what they needed, they needed the Spirit to work more deeply within them. They they, they needed the Spirit to come and give them wisdom and revelation so that they would grow in their personal, relational knowledge of God. That's what they needed. Now listen, I think I would say that's true for me. I need that. with, With every passing day, I need more and more of the Holy Spirit's work in my life so that I know God better. Do, Do you need that? Do you, listen, let me ask you, I think you do. Do you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be working in you so that you increasingly, you know God better? You know, in, in Acts chapter one, which is the account of, of the ascension, we read that after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus appeared to his disciples over a, a span of 40 days of time. And it says that, that during those 40 days, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine attending a 40-day seminar taught by Jesus himself? He's teaching for 40 days, Jesus just pouring information into you about the kingdom of God. I mean, how many notebooks would you fill with ideas and and brilliant thoughts that you would write down? Jesus teaching you for 40 days. That's that's what the, the, the original disciples experienced. And as he was teaching them, he told them he wanted them to be his witnesses. He wanted them to take the message of of God's love through Christ to the whole world, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And and I wonder if after 40 days of training, they were like, Lord, we are ready to go. Send us. We we know everything now. Send us. And Jesus said, no. No, you're not ready yet. Mere Uh, intellectual knowledge is not enough. He said, you're not ready yet. Wait, wait. Wait for the Spirit. Wait for the Spirit, the promise of God, the Spirit to work in you. And that's that's similar to what Paul is praying for these people here. He wants wants them to grow in their knowledge of God, but not just facts. He wants something to happen in them that only God could do for them. He wanted God to flood them with awareness of his spirit so that so that in a deeply deeply personal and life-changing way they they would know. They would just know God. No matter what happened in their life, they would know that God God had eternal glory prepared for them that that um that even on their absolute worst day, when they feel like the most unlovable person on the planet, they would know that God views them as his treasure, as his inheritance, that God loves them in Christ. And that they would realize that no matter what obstacle they face, they did not face it in their own strength. That the, the, the glorious, incomparably great power of God was available for them. And that's why he prayed. And that's why I would like to pray for you and for me right now. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would do for each one of us what only you can do. 
for any listening to me right now who, who, who honestly don't think they even know your son yet, I pray that you would be pleased to reveal, to reveal Jesus to them, to, uh, to help them to understand that their brokenness and their sin and their need for a Savior and help them to see the beauty of Christ whom you've sent uh, for them. And I pray for the, those of us who know Christ. I, I pray that we would not be content with a, a shallow or a merely um, informational knowledge about you, that we would long to know you deeper and more fully and better and better, and that you would do that for us through your Spirit. I, I, I pray that, that you, the God of our Lord Jesus, the, 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 the glorious Father, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know the hope to which you've called us and the, the glorious riches of your inheritance in your holy people and your incomparably great power for us to believe. The power that's the same as the mighty strength you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms, that we would know this about you. And that as we grow in this knowledge of you, uh, you, you would shower upon us your joy, your grace, your peace. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.